Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. The most dynamic and successful organizations and people learn how to resolve conflict before it starts and create an atmosphere that fosters understanding and expression. Now, these skills don't always come naturally to executives and business owners, but they can be learned. And our guest today, Lauren Schiefer, will share tips on how to prevent, manage, and resolve conflict before it comes to blows. Here's Lauren on the cost of conflict in today's workplace. The average American employee spends two and a half hours every week dealing with conflict and drama, which is dead time. It's totally non-productive time for them. <clears throat> that costs American companies, on average, $359 billion. That's billion with a B, dollars, every year in lost productivity. And here's Lauren on the difference between success and significance. Significance is about how many lives you touch and the manner within which you choose to impact them. And people are, who are significant can change the world. We'll start talking business now with Lauren right after this message from our sponsor, Interobang Solutions. Would you like to position your company as an industry thought leader, increase engagement, and build credibility with prospects and clients? Establish your influence as a trusted resource? Interobang Solutions offers full-service writing and publishing solutions that deliver your company's messages with a bang. You can count on us to provide turnkey solutions that support your existing marketing and communication staff or act as your full-service outsourced partner. Interobang Solutions, providing custom writing, editing, and publishing solutions. Call 913-676-7272 or visit www.interobanksolutions.com. That's 913-676-7272 or www.interobanksolutions.com. Welcome back. We're talking business now with Lauren Schiefer. Lauren has years of experience ranging from the trucking industry to global cosmetics to managing a nonprofit foundation. She's also a certified speaking professional who's combined the leadership lessons she's learned in corporate America, as well as the wisdom she gained from her father, who was an Air Force colonel, into powerful speaking engagements with hundreds of organizations in seven countries. Lauren's goal is to help businesses improve communication effectiveness and reduce conflict. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Lauren joins us to discuss ways to reduce that conflict and the drama that comes with it in the workplace. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And we're so happy to have you. You are the daughter of a career Air Force officer, as I said earlier. What lessons did you learn from being uprooted and relocated every couple of years while you were growing up? Oh, my goodness. Flexibility, above all things, um, was 
the primary lesson. Every 18 months to three years, we would be restationed. I think until I graduated high school, three years was the longest I had ever lived anywhere. Wow. And every new station brought a brand new city, a brand new neighborhood, a brand new school uh, within which I needed to adapt. And so I discovered this, I developed the skills very, very early on to be able to adapt myself to the environment that I had suddenly been thrust into. And what I discovered, um, and I didn't know I was discovering it at the time, we look at these things in hindsight, um, was that the most effective communicators, true master communicators, learn to adapt how they communicate to meet who they're talking to at his or her comfort zone. Rather than assuming that you're going to jump onto my comfort zone, it is my responsibility as a communicator to then adapt how I communicate to your comfort zone. I mean, wouldn't that, doesn't that make everything easier? If we can offer information, any information, in a manner that's comfortable for the recipient to absorb and act upon. That was one of the primary lessons, one of the primary skills that I came away with. Okay, the ability to be in control, because you know, some people may say, well, why, why do I have to be the one who adapts to the person I'm talking to? If, if you think that, you're missing the point. Actually, you're in control when you're doing that. That's a little secret there. <laughs> um, that, that is that is true. When I um, when I speak about communicating with differing per- personality types, um, I, I give I offer them this little tidbit, and that is if I know more about me and my communicate my communication comfort zone than you know about you and your communication comfort zone, I control communication. Absolutely. And often the outcome. Yes, absolutely. Now, as I mentioned, you work with organizations around the world. You offer keynotes, training sessions, counseling. And one of the big topics that you address is conflict resolution. So as I'm sitting here talking with you today, there may be some listeners, some business owners or corporate executives who think that, you know, a little workplace drama and conflict is to be expected, that, you know, that it's par for the course and that it may even run its course in due time if you just ignore it. But we both know that's not true. And what's the price of letting conflict and drama go unchecked in the workplace? Well, uh, an interesting statistic that um, few people uh, know about or recognize is that the average American employee spends two and a half hours every week dealing with conflict and drama which is dead time. It's totally non-productive time for them. <clears throat> that costs American companies, on average, $359 billion. That's billion with a B, dollars, every year in lost productivity. That's, that's astounding. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and if we just let it run its course and not deal with it, then that two and a half hours every week perpetuates itself. And it, and it mm-hmm. just continues. As compared to processing it, if we can, if we can find a way to effectively work, prevent, manage, and resolve conflict, then uh, we can reclaim that time. We can reclaim those hours 
that are normally lost to that. Yeah, and I, I, I think sometimes we don't put a price tag on the time, the, the lack of productivity that it causes. And when you do, that's a huge number, $359 billion. You know, one of the points I want to, I want to talk about right away, uh, one of the points that you make is that there's a difference between conflict and drama. So talk to us about that difference, because mm-hmm. it's an important one, and it'll probably be very critical to the rest of our discussion. Well, absolutely. Conflict in and of itself is not inherently a bad thing. Conflict creates energy. And energy is inherently a good thing. Now, when that energy is processed in a positive manner, it can create new products. It can create growth in an organization, personal growth in individuals and employees. It can build respect among uh, coworkers. When it is processed in a negative manner, that is when it becomes drama. And, and drama is, uh, this is my, little, my definition, drama is when we um, are struggling against something or someone. So whatever comes out of your mouth, I am not going to listen to, I'm not going to process, I'm not going to consider. So then we end up with a brick wall between the two of us. We're like two rams on a mountaintop just slamming our heads um, at each other, constantly struggling against positive conflict. And and I'm going to transition that to the word compassion, compassionate accountability. Positive conflict can be processed into something that we call compassionate accountability. And if we look at the word compassion, the root of compassion um, from the original Greek is co-passion, which is we are struggling with something or someone. So that growth in an organization, it may not be fun, but if we are struggling together with it, then we can get to the outcome that we're looking for. Personal growth. If I am working on something and you are there with me, supporting me in that, that can, it may not be fun, but it can bring about the growth that is necessary. So drama is struggling against something which I hesitate to say never. I I don't like using absolutes of always and never. It very rarely brings positive results. Yeah. As compared to positive conflict, compassionate accountability, that can bring about productive results. The positive conflict, that's the yin and yang. That's where people are, they're uh, respectful of each other's ideas. They may disagree, but in that disagreement, as you said, you can get innovation, you can get bigger ideas uh, through that collaboration and compromise. And it, as you said, it's it's often, it, it can be very painful. Um, let, let's talk about how do we keep it from devolving into drama? I mean, we're all people and we all want to be right. Uh, We can be impatient and intolerant. So, you know, we're just not going to turn those kinds of characteristics um, that we have off necessarily in the workplace. So so how can we go about preventing it uh, when you're having these kinds of discussions, 
you know, from, from becoming drama? Well, there are certainly um, skills that can be learned, awareness that can uh, be learned so that when we are starting to devolve into drama, we can recognize the drama roles that we are playing and put stop measures in place in our brain. Now, that doesn't happen immediately. It does come with um, knowledge, with education, with discipline. But one of the, the, the base factors, the, the foundations upon which everything that I teach stands, goes back to a quote from my dad. And the colonel always said to me, you don't have to respect everyone, Lauren Ann. You don't have a right to disrespect anyone, Lauren Ann. So if we can understand the difference between respect for and respect mm-hmm. to someone, there are people that I have met in my life, that I've heard about, that I've encountered, that for whatever reason, maybe it's their behavior, maybe it's our differing ethics, maybe it's the words that they choose, I can in no way respect them. That doesn't mean that I don't make a choice daily to treat them with respect. And that, I believe, is something that we've forgotten certainly here in the United States most recently, uh, the concept of a daily choice to treat someone with respect, whether or not you like what they think, say, or do. And if that can be utilized as a foundation, a foundational expectation, a foundational principle in an organization, that will go a long way to helping prevent conflict from evolving into drama. I'm working in an organization, and I've listened to one of your presentations. I've listened to this podcast. In some way, what you're saying, your message resonates with me. However, I'm working in an organization where leadership managers really don't address this issue, and I'm in the midst of drama and in some cases, chaos because of it every day. How do I individually cope with that kind of an environment and put forth my best effort and and become successful in spite of? Well, there is always the ability to lead up. I believe that leadership has nothing whatsoever to do with the position you hold. Leadership is an inside job. So there's always the ability to lead up, to start setting the example by leading by example, um, and learning the individual skills necessary to recognize, okay, what role am I playing in this conflict right now? Um, am I settling into a victim role. Oh, it's all my fault. Nothing's ever going to change. I might as well not open my mouth because nobody's going to listen to me anyway. Or am I uh, having a knee-jerk reaction? Am I stepping into a persecutor role? Well, you know, if they weren't so stupid, maybe they would be able to figure this out. Or am I, and this is what happens, this is the most common role in a corporate environment, 
and that is the rescuer role. Uh, you know what? Everything would be okay if you just did it the way I told you to do it. If you would just do this. Well, you know, they shouldn't get away with that. You should do this. Those are all drama roles. If we can learn to recognize before we slip into it, us personally, for our own behaviors, then we can make different choices, us personally, for our own behaviors. And when we start making different choices, oddly enough, people start to recognize that. They don't recognize it in as much as, wow, Kelly's really making a different choice here. They start to recognize behavior patterns. You know, Kelly is someone who always has a level head and she never gets sucked into the drama. I wonder how she does that. We start, we can start leading by example that way and start a grassroots change in an organization. So in, in many ways, then you're being a silent leader. You're leading by example uh, in, in that respect. Mm-hmm. You, you, we've talked about you being a colonel's daughter. You've written a book, in fact, called Colonels of Wisdom, A Daughter's Reflection on Leadership, about the lessons that you learned from your father. And you mentioned one of the quotes that provides a foundation for just about everything that you do in your daily interactions with people. But there's another quote, too, uh, Anyone can be successful. Talk about the the approach towards success and significance. Oh, yeah. Dad used to say, anyone can be successful, Lauren Ann. Choose to be significant. And significance has nothing whatsoever to do with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with what your title is or what your perceived power is. Significance is uh, completely different. Significance is about how many lives you touch and the manner within which you choose to impact them. And people who are significant can change the world without having um, billions of dollars, without having multi-millions of dollars. They can change the world. And, and, And while we all would hope that someday everyone's gonna know my name, I'm not sure that that necessarily matters so much. One of the examples that that I use in my book, if you would indulge me, is meat geese. And most people have never heard of meat geese. Everyone has heard of Anne Frank. Yes. The little girl who hid. Meat geese is the woman who hid her and her family. Um, Harriet Tubman. You know, Harriet Tubman was not powerful, during her lifetime, her memory certainly is, but um, but she died in poverty. She was uh, her body was was broken by by beatings and um, being abused, and and yet the three hundred people that she brought to uh, and that's that, that's an estimation. Nobody will ever really know how mm-hmm. many people, but that that she brought to freedom through the Underground Railroad. The descendants of those people measure in the multiple thousands, maybe millions. So significance is about the, the, the way you choose to impact the world around you. 
Your father sounds like a very wise man. And actually, this book that you have published in June is just the first in a three-part series. So tell us some more about this first book and then the two follow-ups that you have planned. So I lost the colonel on the 30th of December, 2006. And I floated around sort of ungrounded for for a while. As you might imagine, he had had such a profound impact on me and helping shape the person I I became. And I started hearing his voice in my head. And unfortunately for a while, I focused on the fact that I would never hear that voice again. And frankly, out of that fear, out of fear that that voice would go away, I started writing things down. Every time I, every time Dad's voice came into my head, I would write it down, and I and I called them kernelisms. And I had thought, you know, just here's this little word document that I'm going to pass on to my children. And then I had a colleague ask me. We were talking about it, and and uh, and I've always quoted my father in my keynotes and my training sessions for as long as I can remember. Uh, the colleague said, you know, I'd really, I'd love to read if you'd be willing to share. I'd love to read your kernelisms sometime. And I said, oh, well, cer- certainly. Oddly enough, three other people asked me that within a week's time. Wow, it was a sign. <laughs> and that indicated to me, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe there's something here. Maybe someone's trying to tell me something. So um, I started looking at them and sorting them, and I discovered that they naturally fell into three categories. And so these are the three volumes. The first one did come out in June, and that is A Daughter's Reflection on Leadership. The second one, which I have committed to have done by the end of the year and out um, by mid-January, will be A Daughter's Reflection on uh, Significance. And then the last one, which will um, is targeted for um, no later than summer of 2019, is A Daughter's Reflection on Accountability. Mm, that's a big one. It's Yeah. And um, which is kind of why I left it for last. <laughs> um, yeah. But they're, uh, they're all in the works. All of them are structured with 52 quotes. I did have to trim down. I trimmed all of them down to just 52 um, so that they could be used once a week as a year-long study. And mm-hmm. um, I have study guides, the one that is completed at this time. I have a study guide complete for it, and uh, there will be a study guide for each of the three. Wow. So so you could use them in your company uh, for lunch and learn sessions or for different types of, of training uh, kinds of sessions and, and, and really just, you know, team building too. There's so many different applications. Exactly. I just finished a uh, five-week book club with, there's a direct uh, sales organization who one of the downlines had... Uh, received a copy of my book and decided to use this as a book club for her leadership in her downline and then reached out to me to ask if um, for a stipend would I be willing to be online with them live on a Zoom call mm. as they did their book club. And that was really kind of a fun five weeks for me because I got to hear their impressions and their thoughts on my father's wisdom. That was, it was, it was very cool. It was, yeah, it was really, a fun time. Really, what a gift in so many ways. So mm-hmm. your dad sounds like 
uh, you know, just a wonderful person. And what a legacy this is. I mean, talk about significance. Uh, example right here in, in the legacy that your father has left through you and these books. If someone were interested in obtaining a copy of the book and, and future books, where would they go? Are they available on Amazon? Do they need to go to your website? How is that possible? Yes and yes. They are available on Amazon. And um, you either need to just search the book title, Kernels of Wisdom, um, or you can search my name and um, both of my books will come up. There was one that was published previous to, um, to this one. So they are available on Amazon. They are available on Kindle. They are also both available in hard copy through my website, which is laurenschiefer.com. Okay. And Schiefer is spelled S-C-H- ieffer.com. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Talking Business Now. We appreciate your time and all your insights. Thank you again. You're so welcome. We appreciate the support of our sponsor, Intero Bank Solutions, providing writing, editing, and publishing services. Give them a call at 913-676-7272 or visit interobangsolutions.com. And thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to join us for the next episode of Talking Business Now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.